The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Chicago Bears fans everywhere get into a big fight over Pearson and Pompey's top 100 Bears list before I dive into the mailbag to honestly find something to talk about. It's all coming at you on this week's episode of Bear With Me. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Bear With Me, a Chicago Bears podcast hosted by yours truly, Robert Schmitz, on the Windy City Gridiron Podcasting Network, where folks like me, Lester Wiltfong, Jeff Burkus, and EJ Snyder are working to keep you Bears fans satiated throughout this long NFL offseason. And it is long. I believe this is week three of the six deadest weeks of the NFL offseason, and honestly, like... I even Googled Bears news just to make sure I knew what was going on with the team and found that there was absolutely nothing. I mean, it wasn't news. I was well aware that the only thing that happened last week was OTAs, but to see it so stark that everyone's moving into doing opinion pieces and opinion pieces alone at this point was a little jarring. I mean, hey, can you blame me? We come out of this massive Bears 2018 season that was so filled with high highs and then obviously that low low there at the end. Watch the rest of the playoffs. Watch Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace pull together a decent free agency class before hitting a great draft not out of the park I mean come on they didn't even have a first or second round pick but certainly give us enough that now if you're like me at all you're just ready for 2019's football season to start unfortunately though we've got a little bit longer to wait And that means dealing with list season, which was kicked off by none other than Don Pearson and Dan Pompey earlier this week talking about the top 100 bears in history. Now, this list left a lot of people asking questions, me certainly one of them, as Jay Cutler was down at 85. Um... I'll call that unusual. I mean, me personally, I would have Cutler higher than that, but it's not like Cutler's going to break the top 50 just off of the top of my head. Jay Cutler is, as I'm sure you heard in my podcast with Jack Silverstein earlier this offseason, one of my favorite Bears and certainly the Bear that probably carried the Bears banner for me more than anybody else throughout my only 11, now 12-year tenure as a Bears fan, but even so, 
I'm not about to claim that he's the Bears' best quarterback. I'd even suggest that maximum, Cutler is the second best Bears quarterback and certainly no higher than the third greatest Bears quarterback as Sid Luckman will have him beat taking that top spot in both first best and first greatest. And me personally, as Jack explained, I think that Jim McMahon is the second greatest Bears quarterback. I mean, when you're the quarterback of the 85 Bears and you win a Super Bowl for this team, our only Super Bowl, you get that mantle. If Trubisky can win the 2019 Super Bowl, heck, he might even be in that conversation. But let's not put the cart before the horse just yet. Anyways, Cutler being so low is, I mean, it's a little bit of a slight to Cutler, but at the same time, it's kind of understandable given that he didn't really do much aside assembling a 500 record at 51 wins and 51 losses. The placement down there at 85, it's going to make some people really angry. Some people certainly think that Cutler is the best quarterback to ever don a Bears jersey, and honestly, he's got a couple of records that seem to make that hard to dispute, but when you try to compare eras, Jay Cutler was generally average as his record seems to suggest he was whereas Luckman and McMahon were certainly some of the betters in their class Luckman a class above the rest at that time Anyways, there's a couple other Bears I wanted to mention on this list. I did find it interesting how both Alshon Jeffrey and Brandon Marshall were ranked higher than Cutler and Part of me kind of agrees with that, as crazy as that is. I know I'm kind of battling back and forth on whether Cutler should be higher or lower. It doesn't really matter. It is just a list. But Marshall was the best Bears receiver I have ever seen. Utterly game-changing. His trade shifted the way the Bears did offense, and it was something unbelievable to watch. Jeffrey, on the other hand, while he had a terrible exit with the Bears, was a game-changer in his own right. The year that we had Marshall and Jeffrey playing at the top of their game alongside each other was unbelievable football. I had so much fun watching it as a fan. It was crazy, and they were generally unstoppable together. I mean, it was super cool to watch. I think that both of them earned a spot in the Bears' top 100, especially given that Jeffrey was able to just so tear up some of those Bears record books, especially when it came to his uh, single-game receiving record, which I believe he broke twice. Really, really awesome stuff. Kudos to them. Found it interesting that Kyle Long is so high on this list, but hey, you gotta give some love to offensive linemen. And then Eddie Jackson made the list already. So did Khalil Mack. And while Jackson had an unbelievable season this last year, and Khalil Mack certainly looked to be up to that monster contract, I feel like it's a little early to put these guys on an all-timer list, don't you think? I mean, Eddie Jackson still has two seasons left on his rookie deal, let alone everything else. And Khalil Mack, placing him at 60 above like that 75 benchmark kind of feels a little ridiculous to me. It depends on the slider scale that you're using to grade these guys. But Max only been in a Bears uniform for one year. And in that one year, we went to the playoffs and lost on a field goal kick. I wouldn't go anointing this guy almost that top 50 Bears status. I wouldn't personally. But hey, I'm not the ones who put it in this list. Don Pearson and Dan Pompey have been covering this team for years, so they certainly deserve the honor, and in a lot of ways, they got some stuff right. But anyways, let's move on. 
OTAs were great. You guys have heard a whole lot of people give you takes about OTAs. I'm glad the guys are having fun. I'm glad that they're hanging out together and getting better at football as they do. I think camaraderie plays a huge role in the modern NFL and that the camaraderie that they build today should ideally help them out in September, October, November, December, and obviously February. But that said, nothing builds camaraderie quite like winning does, so we'll need to make sure that those wins show up on the field. If they can't collect the wins, the locker room should fall apart in short order, as is always the case. Now, of course, if there's injury and other adversity to face, I think that the locker room will hold itself together. But most NFL teams struggle under the burden of a lot of losing. The Bears have certainly seen plenty of that over the last couple of years. That said... I think they'll win a bunch of games. This team is just outrageously talented, and it's a lot of fun to cover right now. Which brings us to this pod's main event. I can't read y'all's minds, so earlier today, I put out a call on Twitter asking for mailbag questions to answer on this episode of Bear With Me. You guys did not disappoint. I've got eight golden questions to leaf through one by one and plenty of time to answer them. So without any further ado, let's start digging into this mailbag and talk a bunch of Bear's goodness. Let's start off with question one. Daniel Hassel asks, Seems to me like the real camp battle is for special teams places. We lost several special teams starters and are looking to fill the bottom end of the depth chart. Which UDFA and veterans on the edge of the roster do you think are most likely to be able to contribute to special teams? Well, Daniel, it's interesting you asked. So when it comes to UDFAs, I think a lot of them are going to struggle, mostly because this roster is loaded, top to bottom. It's crazy to think that way, but seriously, the Bears have a great first 43 guys. I could list them all out, but it's all on the depth chart, and if you go look it up, we got a bunch of these guys. A great example is Ben Broniker. You're not going to cut Ben Broniker. Not only does he know the system, have camaraderie with the players, but frankly, he's too good not only good on special teams but generally just good at being a football player you want these guys you just signed them to a decent deal and the bears have plenty of them another good example is nick kwatowski sherrick mcmanus we have guys that even on the bottom end of the roster are actually pretty good football players. And this leaves you in a slightly precarious position when it comes to these UDFAs. Unless any of them display outstanding skill on special teams, and I'm especially looking at you, Emmanuel Hall, I don't know if they'll even be able to make the roster. I mean, take a look at our draft picks and some of our free agents. Between Cordero Patterson, Kareth White, Duke Shelley, and Steven Denmark, you have a ton of athleticism that should, in theory, be able to make an impact on special teams when you combine that with the current special team standouts we do have because yes we have a few like the aforementioned Broniker and McManus you're going to end up with special teams that are going to fill up faster than you may realize this leaves us with guys like Bradley Soul and other folks defensive linemen here and there that are going to be on the special teams because you need the big guys who are going to block up front but a lot of the quote-unquote sexy special teams positions that I get the impression a lot of people are talking about are generally occupied by faster, skill-based guys. You know, players just like Marvin Hall, who's still on the roster and many believed was brought in during free agency to replace Bellamy almost directly, who was one of our other few special team standouts. Now, the going will get 
tough for Hall. He has to make a loaded receiver position that seems stacked top to bottom. And I'm not really sure how much we're going to be asking off special teams from Riley Ridley. He's not a phenomenal athlete, so I tend to doubt he'll really make an impact there. But when you look at White and Shelley, and I'm talking Kareth White in that case, Duke Shelley, Steven Denmark, and some of the other faster guys we have, not including Cordero Patterson, who I doubt we signed for $5 million a year to run out and play Gunner, I think you ultimately end up with enough talent on this roster that I look at it and say, I think any UDFA that is coming to the Bears, they're going to get their shot, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be a very tough roster to crack, especially with that 53-man roster ending up so slimmed down with all the rest of the talent that's already loaded up on it. Now, it's a great position to be as a Bears fan, frankly, almost an embarrassment of riches that we're talking about good players like Javon Wims getting cut for a special teamer because we just need to have some quality special teamers. Who will they be? I'm not sure. I'll have to wait for camp to tell you myself because a lot of their special team skill, I just can't scout it. I usually scout in the NFL level and a lot of these guys haven't played there. So when it comes to seeing how their athletic profile fits, how well they play their current position or special teams, we'll have to wait and see. But my gut feeling, expect less not more. I think that there's already an injection of youth on this team, and that doesn't mean that they're going to go looking for veterans, but it does mean guys like Marvin Hall, if he comes out and makes a ton of special teams tackle from the gunner position and potentially does well as a return blocker, he could have a better chance of making the roster than guys like Emmanuel Hall, who caught tons of touchdowns in college. So yeah, less on UDFAs, probably more on the Wiley veterans, but obviously We'll have to wait and see. Whew, nothing like a good four-minute answer to question one of eight, right? Let's go ahead and get on to question two. Tim asks, why still so much criticism on the Bears' offense and quarterback? I think that's actually a pretty easy answer. If people actually start giving Matt Nagy, Trubisky, and the rest of the Bears' offense their due, they're going to have to pretty quickly admit that this Bears team looks stacked and ready to challenge for a championship. I don't think a lot of people want to do that. It's way, way easier to use an NBA metaphor to pick LeBron to win the championship or to bet on the Warriors than it is to bet on an up-and-comer and risk getting embarrassed. A lot of people want to make sure they wait and see on these Bears, and I'm personally okay with that. Because in my experience, every time the Bears go into primetime, every time people start actually expecting them to win, they tend to lose. I'm not going to bring up Week 18 as an example, but I'm going to bring up Week 18 as an example. Also, Week 11, our offense played terribly. Week 14, that was the Vikings game, by the way, in uh, Monday Night Football. And then you've got the Monday Night Football game against the Rams. We were terrible. Week 1 was obviously an embarrassment against the Packers. I mean, there's tons of games not just 2018, but all throughout my history as a Bears fan, that we have been awful in primetime, so I am a-okay with them dissing this Bears offense and letting us still play the underdog, even as a wildly, wildly talented team. I think it's a good place for us to be, certainly a good place for the Bears to rise and quote-unquote create a story over this next 2018 Bears season. They rose out of so much adversity and criticism. You know that whole thing. 
I think it could be a great time to be a Bears fan. There should be, I certainly hope there will be, a really nice time for Bears fans to quote-unquote pull receipts where they'll look at all these media guys who I know you're keeping track, fans, of who is out there calling out the Bears, saying how much we're going to suck. You should get your chance to show them how wrong they are when the Bears succeed. At least, that's what I certainly think will happen. It should be a good time. I think that the Bears getting criticism is seriously just a defense mechanism to not admit that they're good because if you admit that the offense is good, I mean, everybody knows the defense is good. The worst it'll regress is from top one to top ten, and then you've suddenly got a stacked team on your hands, and a lot of people don't want the Bears to be good for various reasons. That is about all there is to that. Let's get on to question three now. The one and only Bill Zimmerman, the self-proclaimed king of the mailbag question, asks, An anagram for Akeem Jamar Hicks is I, I is a jackhammer. Is there a more fitting anagram to any person ever? And I'm personally just going to give you a quick answer on this one. No, no, there is not. Akeem Hicks, much like Khalil Mack, can take on a triple block successfully and still end up sacking the quarterback. That's something that gets lost among his unbelievable defensive line play and his ability to remain the heartbeat of a defense that now has Khalil Mack on it. I think this guy's amazing, well worth whatever money we're paying him, and one of the best signings Pace has had yet. That includes a lot of great players. I'm counting Mack in that. Hicks is awesome. I can't wait to watch him this year. He is one of my favorite players on this defense. And yes, he is a jackhammer. Moving on now to question four. Trucks, Trucks, and More Trucks asks, Because the Bears drafted right after the Colts, would you rather have Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard or Roquan Smith and James Daniels, each as a package deal? Now look, I always think that talking about trading around players like this is a little bit weird. Not only is that partially because you never even know if, say, the Bears did land Quentin Nelson, whether they would have gone with somebody like Darius Leonard in the second round, but most importantly, because what most fans don't realize is how scheme-dependent most players are. If you pluck up an all-pro linebacker like Darius Leonard and ask him to play a Mike-hit-first role where he has to consistently engage with offensive linemen and make plays downhill, I think you're going to see him struggle. The Colts were the perfect landing spot for Leonard, and I don't think he'd do as well on the Bears, though obviously I'm not trying to discount his all-pro season. He would look really, really good next to Danny Trevathan, much like Roquan Smith did. With the way things are, either set of players would work here, technically, if you're talking overall skill ratings or potential to play in the 2019 Bears. Nelson plus Leonard looks pretty good and is hard to pass up, but as plenty of people said, frankly, in response to the question on Twitter itself, I'm happy with who the Bears got, and that, to me, is more important than a hypothetical player trade. Roquan Smith certainly looks like the future. He's actually my dark horse pick for the Bears defensive MVP this season. I mean, it'd be nuts, but it could happen. And James Daniels, as Lester Wiltfong said last week, looks like he's got a great career shaping up for him, and I think that's all well and good by me. Nelson and Leonard look like they're both going to play crucial, crucial linchpin roles for the Colts going forward, and good for them. Indianapolis has needed production from those two positions for years, but I'm happy with who the Bears have, and I'm not going to give them up in a hypothetical trade, because screw it, 
I'm a homer. Moving on now to question five, Narv asks, does HaHa Clinton Dix have a better season than Adrian Amos this year, and how much playing time do you think Duke Shelley gets this year? So obviously this is a two-part question, and let's address question one first. When it comes to HaHa Clinton Dix versus Adrian Amos and who has the quote-unquote better season, of course it's going to depend on what metric you use, but I struggle to see a world in which HaHa Clinton Dix doesn't have a better season, mostly because his teammates are absolutely stacked. If Clinton Dix does get to play like we expect him to, next to Eddie Jackson with Fuller and Amukamura out on his sides and the pressure that the Bears can provide from their front seven, he should have a great season, especially considering that Green Bay looks to be asking Amos to play the free safety role that I believe, as I've told you guys plenty of times, is his worst place on the defense. With Savage having been drafted at 30th overall, I think that they're going to have Savage, who is a beautiful hitter and a somewhat strugglesome safety, though, as EJ Snyder has said plenty of times, he believes that he can handle it. My guess is that they're going to have Amos occupy that free safety position to quote-unquote stabilize the Green Bay secondary and let Savage go up and hit. If that's true, the Bears should be in for a much better season out of HaHa than Green Bay is going to get out of Amos. Now, when it comes to Duke Shelley, I think a lot of that will depend on injury. My personal guess is that if either of the oft-injured Kyle Fuller or Prince Mukamura get hurt, they're not going to start Shelley out there. They'll probably move Buster Screen over to cover that outside slot. Should that happen, Shelley's playing time will then be governed by whether he's beaten out Sherrick McManus or not. If he has, he'll play a lot, may even start. And if he hasn't, I think he'll continue to occupy the special teams role that I expect him to play. If the Bears did draft a guy like him and he can't make special teams, that'll worry me more than whether he can play that nickel position. Nickel is hard. Receivers can go anywhere from the slot. But should he be able to make a big dent on special teams, and especially if he's able to improve on the skills that he displayed in the Big 12, I've got high hopes that Shelley should be able to play a fair bit, maybe even steal some snaps away from screen. Though, if they actually let screen, who was paid quite a bit of money in free agency, lose that starting role in any position, I mean, in this case, it would be Nickelback, I will personally be surprised. Of course, every team wants to tell you that they're going to let the best player play, but that's not always the case. Most of the time, these NFL teams follow the money, and I would expect the Bears will do so here. So, barring injury, I tend to think that the soonest we'll see Shelley actually start or play significant defensive minutes, again, barring injury, will be in 2020, not in 2019. In 2020, he may actually have a chance to beat out Screen, but not in 2019, Screen's the guy. Moving on to question six, Ken Rediger asks, could Taylor Gabriel be cut? And this one's a pretty fast answer, no. Cutting Taylor Gabriel will actually cost the Bears $8.5 million in dead cap this year. And for those of you unfamiliar with the cap, that is an almost unacceptable amount of money, especially for a team that's still looking to extend Cody Whitehair and move into 2020 with a surplus so that they can make moves in the 2020 free agency pool. Even though we've got guys like Allen Robinson, Anthony Miller, Riley Ridley, Emmanuel Hall, Javon Wims, and Cordero Patterson 
all currently labeled as wide receivers, I think that Taylor Gabriel, who is one of the Bears' more effective receivers on third down, still blazing fast, and certainly has a year of experience in the offense, will retain his starting role, whether or not he's the two or three receiver, is certainly something up for debate. I would tend to think that Anthony Miller's going to take that number two spot away from him, but mostly out of Miller getting better, not Gabriel getting worse. Gabriel didn't disappoint me last year. He did a lot of things right. I rarely said to myself, come on, Taylor, you got to do better than that. And that's what I'm looking for out of a guy being paid roughly $6.5 million. I doubt he will be a bear in 2020. That's no disrespect to Gabriel. I really think he's a quality receiver. But with a guy like Riley Ridley currently sitting on the Bears bench, getting ready for 2020, getting that year of experience in this system, it won't surprise me if the Bears look to move on. But for 2019, he's all but a lock. You should see a lot of him unless he gets hurt, which he didn't last year. So that'd be pretty neat. Knock on wood. Now let's move on to question seven as we start to close out our mailbag run. So Josh asks, looking at offensive skill positions, is it possible or feasible for Cordero Patterson to be designated at running back to allow additional special teams help at the six wide receiver spot? And personally, I absolutely think the answer is yes. I've been treating Cordero Patterson as if he's been labeled a running back since he got to the Bears. Not only does it help that he had 42 carries in a Patriots uniform, but it personally makes a lot more sense with the roster. As you point out, Josh, we've got a plethora of receivers, tons of options. Like we mentioned in the last question, it's just a lot of talent. On the other hand, the running back room, we traded Jordan Howard, and currently all we've got is David Montgomery, Mike Davis, and Tariq Cohen. And that doesn't include Kareth White, but if you include Cordero Patterson, Kareth White suddenly looks a little bit redundant. Now that actually brings up a bit of a crazy theory that I've got going. There's a chance that Cordero Patterson and Kareth White have been brought in to compete for the same fourth running back spot, a burner who's going to be huge on those kick returns. That said, I doubt that the Bears would seek out Cordero Patterson's $5 million a year contract just so that they could replace him with a seventh round pick. Patterson, while in overdraft in the first round, is a physical specimen. He's big, he lowers his shoulder, he plays well, and he's accustomed to Belichickian play, meaning like a little bit of running back and a little bit of receiver, making big plays from both, and he's a threat to score every single time he touches the ball. I will be surprised if Kareth White outplaces him, but remember, if Patterson does get cut, it frees up a 2020 compensatory pick in the fifth round that we're currently denied because we signed as many free agents as we did. So yeah, I personally think that Patterson will be classified as a running back. If that's the case, you may see him stick at receiver, but we carry more receivers than usual and less running backs. I don't know. We'll see. I just doubt that Matt Nagy brought in Cordero Patterson so that he could stick him at receiver and mostly play him there. I think his values in the backfield wouldn't be surprised if Nagy's thinking the same thing. And finally, we arrive at question eight. In this final question, John the J asks, Will Mizell make the 53-man roster as a wide receiver and special teamer? Easy answer, no. Taquan Mizell had as many chances as a man could get, given the amount of failure that he incurred as a bear. 
as a reminder for everyone who watched last year's season, he had nine carries and amassed 16 total yards with those carries for an average of 1.8 yards per carry. I don't think that's a guy that you want on your team. And while he did average 9.8 yards of reception, he's competing with a position that is way too filled with talent for Mizell to stick on it. I will be floored if he makes this team as a wide receiver, much like I'll be surprised if Bradley Sowell makes it as a tight end. That said, Sowell, with his blocking experience, is much, much more likely than Mizell, who's short and not unbelievably fast, making it as a wide receiver over somebody like Marvin Hall. I think Mizell is as good as cut, and it's just a matter of time. And that's all I've got for you today, Bears fans. Thank y'all so much for listening. Not only is it incredible to see the way this podcast has grown, but every time y'all rate us five stars or comment anything on iTunes or wherever Spotify, Windy City Gridiron, anything regarding these podcasts, it's phenomenal seeing the way that y'all get invested and it helps us promote the podcast to all the other Bears fans in dire desperate need of content during this offseason. So please, if you are on iTunes or Spotify, give us a rating. It helps us a lot. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Robert K. Schmitz. That's at R-O-B-E-R-T-K-S-C-H-M-I-T-Z, where I just recently dropped a thread on Matt Nagy and what his play calling and play design has done for this Bears offense. You can expect a lot more Nagy stuff. Not only am I bringing that thread over to Windy City Gridiron, but I've also got a video, believe it or not, that'll show you my favorite Nagy drive and everything about it and why his play calling in that drive made such a big difference in the game that it was called in. That's enough of a sneak preview. You'll see more of it hopefully later this week. Anyways, Bears fans, it's always great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening. Bear down, and thanks so much for bearing with me. (laughs) 